Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. All right, guys, look, thanks for the invite anyway. And um, the uh, Perry Marshall 8020 sales and marketing. Okay, go. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I thought somebody was talking there. So, um, look, um, Perry, this book uh, came across, I think it was published in 2013. Um, Perry Marshall, and uh, it's a fabulous book. It's one of my favorite books. I keep it's one of those books that I probably looks a bit battered. There, as I, I took the photograph of the cover last week. It's probably a book I definitely go back to every few months, just dip into it. Uh, I bought tons of them for my clients, and um, I'll just give you the kind of the backstory, I suppose, to um, Daily 20, how I kind of came across it first. So, I was um, actually. Went to the CIT in Cork, I trained as a, as a management accountant, which is geared towards not doing taxes, but doing uh, costings and so on. And I worked for um, different companies in Cork, electronics, pharmaceutical. And um, But I always loved I always loved working out the profitability of their clients. And I was working for this electronics company. They used to do a lot of work. They used to make printed circuit boards for the likes of Apple now and Dell. And... They had 36 customers. So I decided to work out anyway, try and see if I could drill the profit down to net profit level. So I just I got a big spreadsheet and I put all their sales along the top for, I think it was for a year. And then I got all the, like all the purchasing, all the supplier costs, and then all the overheads. So like the wages, rent and everything else. And I allocated them all. So what I had was the net profit or loss by customer, each of the 36 customers. And what we discovered is that just three of the 36 customers were giving them over 90% of their net profits, three out of 36. And there was about 18 of them losing money. I just thought this was incredible. And um, I think once I saw that, I, I said my days as an accountant were kind of numbered. So um, I kind of started my own business in 2003 and started consulting and I do a lot of work in 80-20 and selling price as well. And there's different books um, written on 80-20. Um, Richard Koch had one about 20 years ago. was a bestseller, The 80-20 Principle. And then Perry Marshall's book kind of added layers to 80-20 because a lot of the 80-20 up to them was, was probably on working out your most profitable customers, whereas Perry Marshall started applying it to stuff like sales and marketing and also how we spend our time. Uh, just very, very interesting. Um, so... I'll just take you through some case studies and stories and then I've the main lessons from the book as well. And and this is kind of, um, this is like a, a summary of, this was actually just a summary of that electronics company. They actually, this graph was actually a lot bigger. You imagine there was more clients at the end. So there was um, the three on the left are the most profitable. And then there was about three very profitable of the 36. There was a bunch of them in the middle, maybe 15 or 16. There were kind of small profits break even. And then there was 18 of them over here that were losing money. And like I've done this exercise for dozens and dozens of companies and the trend is always the same. The only variable is how many whales do you have and how many sardines? And there's always way more sardines than, than whales. And it's just knowing who they are. Once you know who they are, you can build your whole business strategy around them. So you want more, you want to sell more to these find more like them and then you want to try and minimize the sardines which often involves just increasing your pricing or reducing your service level to them so um like this is one of the core principles of 80 20 is that 80 percent of your profits comes from 20 percent of your clients um and it applies to i've seen it 90 10 i've seen it like the example i gave earlier on was more like 90 10 uh, three customers were given just over 90 percent of their profits um, and it applies to every business I've ever worked it out for. Some version of that, 70, 30, 90, 10. Um, so I label them whales and sardines. Your very profitable ones are the whales, and you want more of them, and you want to filter out the sardines. And it's amazing the difference it makes to people's businesses. You know, once you do the analysis, they often think it's like just getting a new pair of glasses. It'll totally change how you view your business. And if you... If you apply it in terms of your strategy of who you go after, 
it could have a massive positive impact on your profits. And I have a graph there in a moment that'll show you just the impact it had with one client I worked with there a few years ago. Um, there's another book that uh, is fairly popular and touches on the 80-20, the four-hour work week. I don't know if you've ever come across it. Tim Ferriss, he did four-hour body and four-hour all, but he he tells a story in this book how he, he actually, he had a wholesale business years ago and he was working like, you know, 70 hours a week. He had 120 uh, customers and what he used to do every month, he was kind of chasing all 120 of them for business. You know, he'd be chasing them all. So he kind of treated them all the same. And he went away and he did his 80-20 analysis. And what he realized is that five, I think five of the 120 were giving him, I think it was 95% of his sales, five. So he, he changed his whole approach. To, so what he did is he would target the five of them for extra sales and the rest of them, rather than chasing them, he basically told them, if you want an order, you can email it in or fax it. And um, I think he reduced it. He didn't get out the four-hour work week, but he kind of reduced his working week from 70 hours down to, uh, I think it was 30. So he touches on it in his book as well. Um, yeah, but that's just, uh, yeah, but as you know, the people who say to me, uh, yeah, but my business is different. Maybe you don't understand. So I'm sure there's no yeah, but none of you are yeah, but, but I would encourage you to keep an open mind because unless you've actually gone and worked it out in your own business, I can assure you it applies to your business. Um, so in some, some degree. Um, and like the background to it is that uh, it was an Italian economist discovered Alfredo Pareto back in the 19th century. He looked at the wealth distribution in in Italy and then in England, and he found at the time it was 80-20. Um, I think it's even more pronounced now if you look at the wealthy people in the world and the wealthy countries. I think that the percentages have got even smaller and smaller, so a small percentage of the countries have most of the wealth and even population as well. So it applies everywhere. Uh, beer drinkers, Nor, remember Norm from Cheers, beer drinkers, 20% of the beer drinkers drink 80% of the beer. It applies to, they say it applies to um, divorces, it applies to the wear and tear on your carpet, it applies to traffic on our roads. Um, if you open up your wardrobe, have a look in, you probably all have a few favorite items of clothing, other stuff never gets worn, 80-20, if you look at the clothes in your wardrobe. I know every so often they go and clear out, clear out, you know, for the charity shop, like, and it's just the amount of stuff, like, that just doesn't get worn or hardly ever gets worn is just like, you know. So it applies to everything in life and it applies to your business and your clients. And it also applies to how you spend your time and how I spend my time as well. So I'll have a few slides on that as well later on. Guys, don't be shy now. If any questions, just show it away. Any questions? Okay, I'll keep going. So this is kind of the couple of graphs here show the before and after. So what I normally do is I'll go, what you need to do in terms of working it out is you just need to do some analysis of your business and your numbers. So what you really want to do is work down to take your sales and allocate all your sales across your customers, your clients. So it's normally clients. Sometimes it's by product, but more often than not, it's actually you do it by clients or customers, allocate all your sales across them, and then allocate all your cost as best you can. If you're a service provider, your main cost might just be yourself. If you're working by yourself and you've got, um, uh, it's going to be your time. So how much time do you put in? And like, we probably all have clients that, you know, the ones who kind of are never happy and, and take loads of time and haggle over price and all that. They're normally the, the sardines. And you have others who are kind of almost, they're there in the background, almost forgotten about. They just buy from you regularly, pay you on time, don't haggle and all that. So quite often, they're the whales and the other ones are the sardines. But what you want to do to you, do the analysis and work out your whales and sardines. Whales on the left, very profitable, loss makers. And what you want to do over time, and it can take six, nine, 12 months to do it, what you want to do is change that mix so this is a kind of before and after. If you look at the before there, this is the after. In this case, I think it took about nine months to make that change. So you can see what's happened is that the three whales on the left, what this business did, it was actually um, Fabricator, um, 
what they did is they went and sold more. So they, you can see the very first ones actually increased. They sold more to their most profitable clients, which were actually pharmaceutical companies. Um, John, that may be some relevance for you. Um, this particular company they dealt with, I'll come back in a moment, they dealt with pharmaceutical and they also had drinks companies and food companies. And they could basically make the same product. They used to make the steel table. And it was like, if it was a food company, they get four grand for it. If it was a drinks company, they might get five for the same product. If it was pharmaceutical, they would get seven or eight for almost the same product. So the margin on a pharmaceutical, now obviously, you know, they might require slightly higher standards or, you know, you have to go through all the paperwork and everything to get in the door once you're in the door. So this particular client had pharmaceuticals. So what he did was basically started selling more to them and he found more just like them. And at the same time, the food, food and drink companies, he, um, he uh, stopped dealing with them. And it had a massive impact on his profit. And in the next slide shows the impact on his profit. So his sales went up. His sales went up. It was just, I think it was 24%. That's the bottom one. His sales went up 24%. His profits went up over 100% because he was kind of making a lot of the same products, but they were much more profitable. And that's the kind of power of 8020 is when you start changing the mix, you start putting in more. He, he, and he didn't have any, the interesting thing about him is he didn't actually have any more jobs. He didn't increase the number of jobs he did. But effectively, he, he took out some of the ones he was doing for food and drink companies, which were small profits, and replaced those jobs with, with pharmaceutical jobs. His overheads didn't change. His, actually, his cost of sales didn't really change too much because they were similar jobs, but they were much more profitable. Um, this is just um, this is a slide from one of Perry Marshall's books, and it, it's what he calls he calls it the power curve, and it's this idea that um, that your your clients will pay different amounts for a higher quality service. So in this case, he's given an example here of a a, um, a business that had they had a product for a hundred dollars, and they had sales they had a hundred people buying that, so sales of ten thousand. Now, by introducing higher-end products, they reckon that 20% of your clients, 20% of the 100, will spend four times more for a higher-spec product, and four will spend more. Where most businesses lose out is that they don't have the higher-spec products that people will actually pay for. It's like, you know, if you, um, you, know, if you, if you flow, flew from New Dublin to uh, New York, you can go economy, business class, first class. If you book into a hotel, you can get your box standard room, you can get the deluxe or you can get the you know the bridal suite if you're um if you really want to push the boat out. So an awful lot of companies know this and they have a range of products. Another example they often use is the like the sports stadiums, like Crow Park, those corporate boxes. Um, some of those stadiums make 50% of their sales from 1% of the customers. And like the old, the old, um, the original Co Park didn't have any corporate boxes. So by building them into the new stadiums, it's a huge factor in the sales and profitability of stadiums because they're catering to the fact that certain customers will spend a lot more money, but they can't spend it if you don't have the option. I've seen people do this. I've seen been consultants I know do this um, it's a model you would see quite a lot with coaches and trainers or whatever introducing higher spec products introducing mastermind groups and so on um, so there's um, there's kind of five strategies that come out of this so if you do the analysis and you know who your whales and sardines are then what do you do with that information I was going to ask John actually just John back to this one here the the fab the fabricator dealing with the food and drink is that is does that ring any bells with you is your business anyway similar to that or is it quite different um i'd say we we would have uh maybe despite ourselves or by accident we'd have probably evolved we'd have taken that journey over 
10 years i imagine from when, when from from the mid 90s yeah to the mid 2000s we <clears throat> we kind of pivoted pivot's probably too strong a word we we graduated from wastewater treatment plants and the uh, the food and bev into the pharma yeah and we and we and we actually got to the point 10 years ago where 80% of our business was pharma so yeah so we've been on that journey and i that was a question i was thinking of when as you were talking there yeah i presume if you do the 80 20 exercise and you do prune away the sardines and you concentrate yeah. on the whales you're still going to end up with 80 20 at the end of the day correct just a, just a bigger you know it's still 80 20 but it's a bigger pie yeah and funny enough like this is one of the things that perry marshall kind of his book added layers to the whole 80 20 thing he would say that within your 80-20, you, you have another 80-20. So, like, John, even though, like, it sounds like you've made, you've done a lot of, like, what this fabricator did and what a lot of other people have done is you've you've moved to the pharmaceutical, which are more profitable for yourselves. But if you look at that, within that, they'd say there's actually 80-20. Like, if you'd fight pharmaceutical planes, it's possible that one of them is far more profitable than the others. So there's there's layers within this. You can drill into it and drill into it and drill into it. Which Plus makes we, it very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We find, we find um, just the way our business is structured, we've got a team of engineers that can do projects, and projects have risk. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that you know, if they're profitable, you're 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 happy, and you're you know, you have to take the risk because you're quoting a project. And then we have service side of the business where you know we cater for you know callouts and shutdowns and. Yeah. Where, where we're paid per hour and there's zero, you know, very little risk because you're you're being paid for everything. But you can't have that cream without the foundation of the project work behind it and the team. Like you can't just turn up and say, "I'm going to do this very profitable work only," because you you can't sustain it without the the grunt work behind it. You know, the projects. Yeah. So there's another eighty twenty there where you have to spend that eighty percent of the time. You know, developing the team that can do the twenty percent of the work. Yeah, yeah. I was doing. Um, I've done this exercise a few times for. It's a different kind of business, no? But it's it's in engineering, but it's more construction related, you know. Mm. And we call them greens and reds, like. But some of their projects, when they go wrong, like they lose their shirt on them. Um, it's scary looking at some of the numbers, like you know, absolutely well, scary. Um. You know, well, I have a uh, customer. I have a customer that uh, I won't say who or anything, but there was a, they nearly went out of business seven or eight years ago on one project. Yeah, it just ate them up. Yeah, and they just got out of it barely, and they kind of got back in their feet eventually. But you know, they could have been could have been very rough. Yeah, um, and Sarah, I know your business is probably a bit different. So this, we're not. I'm not sure how applicable this was. This is very much business related as such. So, but I mean, does 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 some of the later slides will definitely be applicable to how we spend our time, um, even if these aren't hugely applicable to yourself and the lads. Okay. Uh, the, the, that model you're yeah. looking at there, um, not model, but just kind of the offerings. It, I think what what's the, is a book? The book called Nudge, maybe where they create this kind of choice architecture. Is that the language they use for that? Where you're you're obviously creating this one, sorry, options. Is it this one, Robert? Sorry, which one? Yeah, it's just like that. I, I guess I think I've seen it in, you know, when you're buying yeah. gold, silver or bronze services yeah. and it's kind of different prices and you're trying to nudge people into the middle one typically or whatever angle it's going at to make the, the extra amount. Something similar, I suppose. Yeah, it's somewhat similar. The bronze, silver, gold is, um, it's uh, in my head, it's, it's a little bit different because you could be offering... Um, with the brand silver gold, you could be offering the gold could be you're getting a bit three extra, times the yeah, price, yeah. but it could be it could also be three times the cost, you know. Whereas this is this is very much aimed at um, the higher margin. Like, you know, if you you can imagine the profit they make on somebody flying business class to, you know, the states or wherever versus economy. Like, there's I think an awful lot of the profit comes from those higher end customers. So these ones here are very profitable. Like it doesn't, it doesn't cost you four times more to provide this one as that one. Like it's four hundred dollars. These are very profitable. Mm. It's bells and whistles, but without all the cost. Yeah, so the yeah. plane. The plane example is similar to what I was saying. There, you have to have the hundred people at the back to pay the fuel and pay the bills, and then the the first class people are just cream. 
Yeah. You can't fly the first class people alone across the Atlantic. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> no. work. No, no, it wouldn't. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is the, these are like the strategies that come out of some of the strategies and you do your analysis. You say, okay, I know my whales and sardines. So what do I do with that information? Um, and this is just some of the things you do. Um, sell more to your most profitable customers, your whales. And once you know who they are, I had a great example there a few years ago. This it was a wholesaler, and just go back a few years ago. I'm sure it was in the kind of depths of the last downturn, and he was supplying salons like you know hair salons, beauty salons, and it was a really competitive business. Like you know, he had all these competitors, and what they would do was the competitors they probably all did it, but they would just have a vat free day like out of the blue, and they contact all their clients and say, "Oh, we're having a vat free day," which means everything like would be twenty three percent cheaper. So like. Was a very competitive business, but he he had about four hundred active customers, and what he did is he looked at the profitability of them, and he started targeting. I think he had about thirty, just under forty. Um, he reckoned profitable customers, and he just basically focused on them, and you know called called on them, found out what they bought, what did they need, and he he grew his sales with his most profitable customers. And his, I think his sales went up. His sales went up about not huge. His sales went up about maybe twelve percent, but his profits, his profits went up forty percent. It was completely mad in a really in a downturn in a very competitive market. I was, I was absolutely amazed at what he achieved just by focusing at the time he did it by focusing on his best customers. Um, so and you know this is one of the key things I've always taken away from from 80-20 is that, you know, an awful lot of businesses are just focused on going out there getting new clients and they're ignoring their best existing clients, the most profitable ones, the ones who know them, that they have the relation. And it's a really effective way of growing your profits is once you know the whales is to look after them, go and sell more to them, like feed a hungry whale. Um, you know, it's definitely worthwhile just investing a bit of time in your best customers um, I know there was another company I worked with. They were a printer, and when we worked it out, we found out that they're like they had hundreds of one-off orders. That they lost money on an awful lot of them, but they had they had a few hospitals and colleges who gave them big orders and they were repeat orders. So they had none of the the design or whatever. It was just repeat orders. You set up the printer, run through two thousand forms for the hospital every month, and they were hugely profitable. And what they did was. They stopped dealing with some of the one-off ones and the, the owners just went out and called on other um, hospitals and colleges and landed some new clients in the same category as their existing ones. And again, it had a huge impact on the profits of the business. But it was by, they weren't just chasing anybody. They only went chasing new whales based on what they knew their best clients were already. And... Um, very effective and again that was that was a few years back when business was was tight you know things were tight and it certainly helped them get through with their weather that the last downturn really well and came out of it very strongly when a lot of their competitors i'd say were struggling or went bust um fire sardines huh this is the fun one <laughs> firing sardines you know because like we're you know we're told we're brought up to think you know all clients are good and all, all sales are good and you can't say no. But actually you can because all your clients are not the same. Certainly not when, it, when you look at the, um, do the analysis of the, the profits, um, an awful lot of them are losing you money. And what you really need to do is move them up or move them out. Um, now, I have a good example of this in a while there as an accountant, but um, people find this a bit scary so I'll, I'll probably tell you the story about the accountant, actually, because it's a good way of doing it, of handling it, is you kind of, what some people do find easier to do is they'll grow the whales a little bit first before they tackle the sardines. So it's like, you know, getting in an extra bit of profit gives them a bit of confidence to move on to sardines. Um, that was, Mrs. Brown, there was, um, there was um, that printer I spoke to you about you know, what I did is I, I went away and looked at the jobs and in a typical week, they had about 60 different jobs they'd have 
So 60 different orders, on average, they had 60 orders a week. So there could be a lot of them were one-off orders. And then they had the repeat ones, which were the hospitals and colleges. But I, I tracked one of them and this, this woman came in, got her Mrs. Murphy, and it was her grandson's 21st birthday. So she wanted to organize invitations. And the printer came out and sat down with her for about half an hour and went through different designs. And she wasn't sure, so she brought it home and she wanted to show her daughter. And then the daughter was emailing the printer and there was, you know, they were changing this color and changing that and all this went on, right? And eventually they agreed it. And the, the printer finalized the design anyway and set it up and ran it through. And they charged this woman, I think, 70 euros for her invitations. But when I costed it out, it should have been about 200 euros. And they had a lot of those one-off orders. Um, that would Because it's a one-off, there was... And this is this is another one of the key things about AD20 that I discovered after doing it even the first few times is that there's a minimum cost of dealing with a customer. So anytime you take on a customer, there was a minimum cost. And most costing systems don't pick that up. So like there's we we counted about 24 steps for the printer from start to finish for him to deal with any customer in any order was 24 steps involved. And 70 euros wasn't cutting it. So, and at the same time, they knew that the hospitals and the colleges were very profitable. So what they did is they went and chased some more. They did actually get more work from their existence. For example, the hospital, when they went and spoke to them, they were in two forms every month. And they found out that the hospital printed about 70 forms. <laughs> it was 70 forms the hospital got printed, but they were only getting two this printer was only doing, my clients only doing two of them. And they landed another two. And they also went after new hospitals. So it kind of gave them the security. They didn't tackle the sardines. So what we did is we doubled the prices. So the one-off orders went to 150 euros. And then about a month later, I called into the Monday and they're after increasing it to 200 euros. So what happened then is for the people who came along who were obviously war one-off orders, like the public, Basically, they quoted them 200 euros, and most people wouldn't pay it. Right? The odd person would. So we just send them down the road to his competitor, right? And we thought this was great fun, and the competitor was probably laughing, going, what's going on there? But sure, the competitor was probably charging him 70 euros as well. Now, obviously, if somebody came along for a first order, and they were a company or a potential, I used to call them baby whales, okay? If, if, if a hospital came along or a college or a big company came along, then they were treated a bit differently, all right? So you might give them, um, you might be charging them the full whack because you wanted to get them in initially. But the one-off orders that were obviously one-off orders, they trebled the price. And what this did is, okay, you could say they're losing sales, but actually freed up the printer to go after, to go and talk to the existing whales, and they got more work from them. So it actually worked brilliantly. So even though it's a scary thing to do, um, getting minimizing the sardines is a key part of the whole process and it normally means bumping up your pricing and some people find that scary some people will never do it um i have clients who have sardines and they have them for the last 10 years and they're they still have them but i mean it's their business you know I'm, i can't tell anyone what to do i just i just calculate the information there's other people will just take instant access other people would bump up their prices 30 40 50 percent straight away because they can see it when you see it in black and white and you can see yourself losing so much money um uh as i said some people will act straight away other people will never act other people might act six months later or something um yeah i have a good example here of an accountant and i worked with him last year and he had about 300 clients and he worked out that the bottom, the bottom 115 were only tax returns. So he decided he was going to get rid of most of them. Now, like what happens when you do this is normally there's exceptions, okay? Like, so he went through the list of 115 and some of them were like, one of them was his second cousin, right? And someone else was like his oldest client and his father used to deal with him. So he went through the list and I think he kept about 12, which is fine for, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily throw everyone out just because they're a sardine, okay? There's different criteria can be applied to it. Like if there was people in there who were 
new clients but had the potential to be bigger, he might say, well, look, I'm going to hang on to them a bit longer. So the financial is only, it's only one aspect of it. But he was, he'd worked it out and he decided he was going to get rid of them. And then he rang me the next week and because it was just over 30 grand in fees, he rang me the next week and kind of, he was getting cold feet, you know? So he was kind of going, oh my God, it's still 30 grand in sales. Like, what am I doing? Um, so what I did with him is he had about 15 whales. So we went and met with one of his whales. They were a distribution company and did offices, did a few offices around the country and did sales of about 2 million. And they, um, uh, you know, they needed help. They needed better financial information. They needed regular reviews. So I went along with the accountant, excuse me, and we negotiated management accounts for them anyway and a monthly review meeting, two and a half grand a month, 30 grand a year, right? So in one fell swoop, he'd replaced all the fees from those 100 clients with one by targeting just one of his whales and getting extra work from them. Um, so I wouldn't say he's a typical accountant, but that was some change he's made in his business. So this year now, with the tax returns, he sold those 100 clients to another accountant. The way it works is you get you get a year's fee. This other accountant, I think, had much more streamlined systems, almost automating all these tax returns, which my guy didn't. So he said this year now, I was chatting them there recently. So he basically went from 300 clients to 200, but at tax time, I'd said they're having it so much easier now this time of the year because they don't have to do an extra 100 tax returns for people. Um, productivity is a big part of it as well. I have another slide here now I'll show you. So um, not saying this applies to you now, Sarah, but this is probably more, this is more general, okay, more applicable. This is moving away from the profits and losses, right, to how we spend our time. And, you know, 80, 20 applies to everything. So if you work an eight-hour day, um, let's say you get 80% of the value from two hours. Um, eat your frog. I have a good slide here now. I'm just going to move on here. Um, this is another really good page from Perry Marshall's book. So if you look at what he's done is he's, he's different values on the job as we do every day. You can see there on top, $10, 100000 10000 and the idea here is that you want to minimize the ones on the left. So, you know, running to the post office or whatever. If you're doing stuff like this and you should be doing higher value jobs, the idea is you want to try and move over to the right-hand side. Um, I'm going through this. I went through this with one of my mastermind groups there last Friday, and I'm going to go through with another group this Friday. And it's, it's a really good exercise because... Um, a lot of people, like the engineer I mentioned there earlier on, John, he's got about 50 staff. And he said to me recently that he's back on projects. He's working on projects. Now, this guy has 50 staff. He said he's spending, he said he reckons he's spending 60% of his time on client work, which is here, right? He's spending 60% of his time here, and he has 50 staff. He's the owner of the business. So, like, where should he be spending his time? He should be spending most of his time over here somewhere, which I imagine is managing jobs they have. Like I said earlier on, one of his jobs, is he's losing a shirt on one of his jobs, and he's spending a lot of his time over here, you know? To me, he should be spending his time making sure that those jobs are being managed properly, probably making sure the sales and marketing are working properly, you know, improving this stuff is the high-value stuff, anything to do with, you know, creating new services, managing jobs you have. So I love this. Um, like what I did there recently myself, I was organizing webinars and just cranking up my sales and marketing and I was getting stuck on, you know, technical stuff. Wouldn't quite be my fort, you know, you know, doing landing pages and sales funnels and all this kind of stuff. Like it was tearing my hair out. So I found somebody, I heard somebody to handle this stuff for me and probably some of this stuff as well because it's not my forte. Um, it was slowing me down. Um, I want to focus on doing webinars and doing one-to-one -one calls with people with prospects and running masterminds. That's my plan. My plan is to try and spend, let's say over here, let's say kind of over here, 1,000 euro per hour. 
um, spend most of the time over here and spend very little time over here. The idea is you want to outsource these jobs, find someone else to do them, which is what I did with the tech side and the marketing side as well. I just hired somebody to do a lot of those jobs for me. Um, I think I'm kind of almost done as a kind of summary. Yeah. So that's it really, guys. Um, any thoughts, comments, questions? Lots of interesting stuff. Normal in insight for me, and anyway, Neil, it's just set my uh, set my brain thinking about how much time I'm actually probably wasting. It's like in terms of value add. Um, this one here was it? This one, Declan? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like the, the it's the classic concept of the busy fool kind of thing. Um, just in terms of like, so, so that's kind of the value proposition. In terms of the energy, like do. You, you believe that like it should be a 40-hour work week or like should we be actually a trade-off between really um maximizing your energy and aligning it with those real value-add activities yeah well i mean look put it this way i mean if you spend okay i'll tell you what right <laughs> like i run mastermind groups okay and i had one last friday i have one this friday so um, and they're very lucrative for me, okay? So um, I'll be finished my mastermind at 11 o'clock on Friday morning, okay? And I'll make about two grand Friday morning. So, like, do I have to work, work the rest of Friday? Do I have to work Thursday? Yeah, I probably will work. But, I mean, the whole point about this is that the more time we spend over here, in theory, the fewer hours you have to work. If you're spending all your time over here, you'll have to work long. You'll have to work long weeks to make any money. Yeah. If you're spending your time here, you know, thirty hour a week, make three grand. You know, twelve was that on twelve, nearly one hundred and fifty grand a year. If you're spending thirty hours a week here, you know, you've nice income, one hundred and fifty grand a year, one hundred and forty grand a year. If you're spending most of your working week here, if you're spending most of your working week here and you manage to move over here for an hour a day even. And this is what the first man, Perry Marshall says, you know, you should aim to spend an hour a day over here if possible. Mm. Right? If you can spend an hour a day over here and even if the rest of your time is here, then you're going to be growing, obviously, growing your income substantially. Yeah. Now, for each of us, this may be different, okay? Like for me at the moment, I have a very clear idea. At the moment, this is, is masterminds, okay? Absolutely. Mm. But I mean, I spend probably time here, maybe spend, I'm trying not to spend too much time here, but I guarantee they do. Like I still do next week there, Monday, I'll be doing, not my VAT return, but I just do my, um, I just do the spreadsheet for the accountant. And I shouldn't be doing it. Like I, he's offered to do it. I just have to organize to pass it over to him. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think I spent too much time over here. Not yet, anyway. But um, really? um, you know, and it's it's a brilliant. You know what? I love this because um, it applies to all of us. It'll be different for all of us. But oh, it's just to be aware of it, even especially over here. You know, are there jobs you're doing that you simply should not be doing? Yeah, guaranteed for all of us. I think the answer is yes, without a doubt. Even if it's getting fucking, you know, spending too much time answering emails. Yeah, you know, certain emails might be over here, but I bet you a lot of them, a lot of emails over here, you know, going on to Facebook, browsing Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever else, checking whatever you do, your favorite sites. Okay, there's no harm doing a bit of it during the day, but I mean, um, uh, it's a brilliant sheet. And you know what? The really interesting thing for me is that in my mastermind group, I know a couple of the guys, like I mentioned, the engineer who's spending a lot of his time here. And I know there's another maintenance guy. He's I know very noticeable the last few months. He's back on site a lot and he has 25 staff, okay? Mm. So I was asking him, I just said to him one day, if you're over here, I said, who in your firm is working on these tasks? No, whatever they are for you. And he said, no one. There's another couple of guys and in the mastermind and they're moving over this way. They, one guy has outsourced all his, nearly all his sales and marketing. They can see that he's 
He's putting into processes and systems to make himself redundant, and he's spending a lot more of his time over here. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm there yet, but even hiring that marketing person last month for me was huge because I have got rid of a lot. It speeded things up for me. I've got a lot of, with a lot of stuff that'll be, that'll be slowing me down. It speeded things up. I had a webinar last week. I'll have another one in a few weeks' time. I'll have another one in December. So it's speeding things up for me in terms of getting more mastermind groups up and running. Um, not, I certainly don't have a crack, but I, I'm totally into the outsourcing stuff that I shouldn't be doing yeah. to free me up to spend more time over here. Um, and it, look, it's a work in progress, but it's it's understanding this kind of matrix and trying to, as I said, move from the left hand side, spend more time over on the right hand side rather than the left hand side. No, it makes a lot of sense. I love that sheet there. It's really, really powerful. Um, I'll email you on a book. Um, Perry Marshall, he, um, so the book, that's the book, okay? you know, like whatever, 200-odd pages or whatever it is to, uh, yeah, just over 200 pages. But he brought this out recently. It's, it's like a summary of the book, right? It's only like 40 pages. Okay. Um, and he did, a, um, he did kind of tele, teleclasses there. Last week, he did an hour a day for five days, and he sent on a soft copy of this, and I have it. I can send it on to you. There's just a password on it. I can say it. I can, I can send it on to you, Rob. You can, if you want, you can share it with the lads. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got that in it, but it has other stuff as well. It's like a summary of the book. It's a brilliant little booklet. Um, I bought 20 copies of it there um, a few weeks back, and I just, I've given them to all my mastermind people. So, like, that's what we're covering in, in our masterminds. We have an education part and we do a hot seat part for people can bring along a challenge. So in the education slot, now this month, we're covering that book and, and people love it. Like that's the main slide where that page there knows what we're doing. Yeah. And I think most people kind of get it. I'll shut up now and leave you. I don't know what time is it? Um, any, like over to the rest of you, Rob or John, Sarah, any comments or questions or uh, I'm a great believer in delegating. I always delegate as much as I can. So I think that's probably in a different way of putting it. That's kind of what you're talking about. Is part of it, yeah. Part of it, yeah. Off, off your desk so that you have time to think. And uh, you, still have yeah. to check, you still have to plan and check. And that takes time. But um, and if you, you know, if you delegate to five people, they might take longer than you took, than you would have taken. But... And you'll take longer telling them how to do it. It'll take longer checking, but you can get five times the work done in yeah. one day. You know, and that's that. That's the key. Yeah, it, it's spending that freed up time then productively. I think is the important part. You know. Mm. So it sounds like you have it sus, John. Have you? I don't know about that. <laughs> there's always stuff to do, but uh... there's yeah, there's always. Listen, it, it's still worthwhile, maybe. You know, you can use Toggle as a great exercise to do is track your time for a week. You know, Toggle is an app or there's other ones you can use to track your time and review it. There's always there's always something that'll come out of that because you'll be spending time doing stuff you shouldn't be doing and then there's stuff you're doing that's taking longer than it should do. Um, mm. Always worthwhile doing. No, I think I have a pretty good handle on where my time is going. <laughs> <clears throat> I need more hours in the day. That's my problem. Mm. Mm, sounds like you, you've a bit of work to do so John <laughs> yeah yeah no, for me I think sorry oh, sorry go on no go for it say, thank you so much for this um, it's it's simple and yet it's it's challenging to actually do it and mm. uh, you yeah. know I've you know very familiar with this as a concept but actually just this refresher this evening with you has just really got me thinking about my time and you know, where I'm spending my time and am I focusing on things that are the biggest impact that I'll get the biggest return on? The truth is no. Mm. Um, So it's just been really challenging um, in a positive way. So just want to thank you for that. Okay, yeah, you're you're welcome, Sarah. I think uh, your point there just about tracking time, that could be a really useful exercise to do. I, uh, I used to work as a management consultant with Deloitte and we actually had timesheets and I actually loved it. I was, I'm not sure if I was the only one who loved it, but I love <laughs> that we had to track our time because yeah. I was so significantly more productive 
in that environment, then I, I perhaps am in where, where I'm not tracking my time. Mm. And, um, and I know this is far more than just time tracking. That's maybe one aspect of this. But then it's about focusing in on, well, what projects am I giving X amount of time to? And are they the ones that are going to have that biggest impact or not? And, and yeah. doing that reflection and maybe putting time for that reflection into a weekly, my weekly plan plan that I that I do um it's maybe some questions I could start asking myself around all right these are the meetings I have next week this is what I need to do and then am I allocating time appropriately to the projects of higher impact and and the the projects of lesser impact so Hmm. just wanted to share that and and thank you okay um, for this fairness you're um you're being very honest there in fairness to you about your um you know your tracking time and where you're spending it Mm-hmm. Rob is very quiet there, and does he? I, I've tried to talk about four times and then just backed away, well, let other you? people talk. So, <laughs> all right, um, yeah. No, Ed, I actually use the Pomodoro technique a lot for my oh, yeah. um, time management. Um, very good, yeah. And I tend to do it in 25 minute blocks. And I guess my yeah. day job at the moment, four hours a day, is dedicated to talking to clients, and the other four hours is dedicated to me writing and researching. And, and I, absolutely have to um you probably that's a 50 50 rule more than an 80 20 but but it's it's the four hours that i'm talking to clients is is set on my calendar and i you know that's that's a that's productive because it's happening um so then i have to be very focused on the other 50 percent, which uh probably 50 percent of that could fall into the 80 20 to try and do um try and do research and then try and do email which probably is the 20 percent of of my uh, time that's not so i i think if anything it's reinforced a lot of the stuff that i do and that's kind of made me think yeah i'm 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 not going to be coming down too hard on myself for not trying to you know get as much done as i can there's always room for more as you said it's kind of iterative isn't it once you get into the 80 20 you split into the next one and the next one but at least at the first couple of layers i feel okay about things at this point anyway so but uh, it's it's very fascinating it's very interesting i think if i was putting on a hat of you know being um running my own business and talking to clients and coaching and stuff like that it'd be it's always harder to let those potential sardines go or eat them up you know um that when you know as you said the criteria could be that that person could become you know, top executive in two years time and then they're crying out for a coach that had a good relationship with them and then, you know, you just don't know what you're shutting the door on potentially. Mm. Maybe they will and maybe they won't. Yeah, but normally you can you can kind of, normally I find when you look at the, the sardines, you're able to put them into which ones are a sardine and probably will never become a whale and which ones are... We call them baby whales, okay? Which ones can um, probably step up? Just, well, in business terms anyway, you can normally look at them, categorize them um, into fairly accurately, mm-hmm. you know? But like I've heard so many business owners over the years kind of going, they're looking at this sardine that's there for 20 years and kind of going, oh, yeah, but sure, it might turn into a whale, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it hasn't happened in 20 years, it's not going to happen in year 21 anyway. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, guys, is that okay? Any more thoughts or comments? Or No, it was excellent. I think, uh, Neil, it was great getting something different as well. Even though it is about sales marketing, you can still get the angle of, of your time and self-help is in there, John. So we'll, we'll keep keep that theme running along as well. So <laughs> Yeah. Okay, guys, listen, yeah. um, lovely thanks. meeting you all. Thanks. 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 thanks for that, thanks. guys, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Appreciate it. Good all right, luck. guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 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 Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. 
you could also repost it on your social media channels any of them would be great and maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone pick up the phone give them a call and tell them about the one percent better podcast tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past and it will do I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey, and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record, and share, the better I believe that they get, and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far, and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.